Hey, it's uh, Pete here from Getting Hip to the Hip. Please go to www.gettinghiptothehip.com and join our bonus feed. All the proceeds go directly to the Downey Winjack Fund, and you're you're helping a great cause, and you're you're gonna get some great takes that you're not gonna hear on the regular episodes. Uh, lots of cool stuff to talk about. Tim, JD, and I were we're just we're just stoked to do these bonus episodes and also reflect on some of the earlier stuff that we've already recorded. So um, go to gettinghiptothehip.com, click on the bonus feed, and I mean, do it now. If, you, if you're still listening, if you're still listening, you haven't done it yet, then you're already too late. So I, you shouldn't even be listening to this right now. You should shut it off and uh, just join the bonus feed. You're already too late. By the time May 2000 rolled around, the world was in a completely different place. We had all survived the Y2K crisis, but nothing could prepare us for the deluge of information that the popularization of the internet brought. Part of that melee was something called Napster. I can remember getting the hip's latest offering while sitting at my desk on the computer. Whoa. This was the Wild West, I thought. Despite getting the album for free, I still purchased it the day it came out in early June of that same year. This, however, would be my last first day purchase I would make for the Tragically Hip. The end of an era, indeed. It wasn't that I didn't totally dig the record. Okay, maybe it was. This was a grower for me. It's now one of my favorites. Anyway, I saw the band on tour at Massey Hall with Heather and enjoyed the shit out of that show, but my love affair with the band was waning. Looking back, I'm not sure why that was the case. As we'll see in the future, I fucking love the output of the band from 2000 onward. But this isn't the JD show. How are Pete and Tim going to feel about this one? It's a step out of the comfort zone, to be sure, but my friends seem ready for it. Let's wait and see no longer on today's episode of, wait for it, Getting Hip to the Hip. Long Slice Brewery presents Getting Hip to the Hip. Welcome to Getting Hip to the Hip. I'm JD. I'm here as always with Pete and Tim. How are you fellas doing this fine day? Doing great. Doing great. Just getting it going and excited to be here and see a couple of my favorite dudes over the interwebs. I am doing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to fucking discuss this fucking record. Oh, so wow. Oh boy. So fasten your seatbelts, folks. I mean, your seat belts, folks. what does that mean? Spoons, plural, spoons full of sugar. Oh, not right. just fucking, not just one. The Disney references are just rolling out. Rolling. <laughs> well, we're here today to talk about uh, the 2000 release, uh, June 2000, the seventh studio record by seminal Canadian rock band, The Tragically Hip. Music at work. Before we go into our vaunted segment of uh, song by song, let's just get a general sense of what you guys thought of this record, where you listened to it, what you were uh, what you were exposed to. You know, um, 
how it how it uh, formed over time. What do you think there, Pete? I'll be brief because I want to really dive into the songs too. Uh, but I will say I listened to this record at at work. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> While I was on my computer, uh, you see, <laughs> come on, Tim. Tim, did you want that one? Are you waiting to use that one? No, no, anyway. it was your turn. It was your turn. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, Some of the listeners it the, right now are like, "Oh my God, we're out of here." They're like, "Jesus." <laughs> um, listen to it in the car. Um, the sound system in the car made it made it really pop. But I will say, probably the best place to listen to it was on runs. It was just, I mean, I I love the record. I really, really enjoyed this record profusely. So I'll say that. That's I'll leave it there. All right, Mister Leiden. Yeah. So I I listened to this. I had a a bunch of uh, of headphone based physical therapy the past week, and I pretty much had it on for all of that. And um, which you know was very much focused movement, and definitely could consider audio and and it was it was pretty good it took me back to uh i think mostly to live between us like if we're gonna go apples apples or apples oranges throughout their discography thus far for many reasons and um there's some songs on here i really like a lot there's a couple that i thought were pretty different like definitely a step out than past albums and um yeah i i at one point i thought this might be my favorite so far in our in our work to get to this point i thought this might be one of my favorite albums so far but i'm still questioning it i'm I'm still thinking that there might be some another one out there in the future that i just i give uh you know 9.5 to or whatever it might be gotcha yeah, this was rated relatively low by all music. Oh, big fucking surprise. <laughs> They're like the professor that doesn't give A's, you know? Yeah. yeah. Negative five out of five. Jeez. All music. I, I'm a, well, I, I a little bit vibe with that, but uh, but I understand, like, you know, sometimes there's a great piece of work out there that still doesn't get the accolades it, it deserves. That, that happens so often. Yeah. Well... Shall we get into it? So just some quick research on the, the title that I found of the yeah, album, Music at Work. So um, from what I read, it's poking fun at a rock station in Canada, 100.5 FM. Yeah. E Z Rock or Easy Rock. Whichever. You went with Zed first. You're so Canadian. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Canadian. Music at work was their tagline. You know, it was like, imagine this kind of 80s looking logo in, in, in essence, like a, a corporatized Van Halen Firebird Camaro looking Easy Rock 100.5 FM and underneath it, music at work. That which makes is sense. hilarious. But I thought maybe, yeah, yeah, I thought maybe the hip tagging you know taking this tagline was perhaps their 
I guess, you know, maybe even, uh, I, I think it was their um, stab at back at clear channel. Oh, like, wow. I, I thought like these guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought these guys are still top. Was that a clear channel right? station? Rock I don't know and roll. I'm sure they were. Dude, I, it's I a heavy format. Up. I didn't look it up, but if you look at every. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at everything about it, it yeah. I'm sure it is. And at that time, dude, I didn't and, go that I mean, far. nowadays it's like it's not even a competition. Like Clear Channel owns the airwaves, but I remember at that time it was like you were you were starting to realize that every station was a Clear Channel station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of some brief history on the the album title, the the first song, you know, title track, album name. Um, I thought it started off big and strong and, you know, kind of traditional sounding rock and roll anthem song, um, which I hope for now in a hip album. If, if a hip album going forward ever starts out with like something soft and emotional, I'll be concerned how, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm going to be in tears or if something's wrong with the universe, you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But this one I, I thought started off with a bang, you know, the the reference of um, the Ganges and right. um, I don't know. This is like uh, this one kind of gets you in and out of first gear for jumping in the car, turning on this album. You're throwing the CD. You know, this is still 2000, right? Throwing the CD and right. your deck and you're you're driving away. And this and I think this one also has the most listens. For the album, that would make sense. It it was a single. Um, You know, there was I think on yeah, I think on Spotify had like six million listens. So this one was like, okay, where's this album going? Well, not not to correct Tim, but I'm I'm gonna do it. Do it. It's not. It is not the title track. Ah, the 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 track. The name of the track is actually my music at work. Um, yeah, interesting, and I didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it was really uh, close, man. You were close to, you know. Okay, the, um, influ- the influence of the of the. There we go. Right, right. Thanks, thanks. Uh, anytime. <laughs> I, I mean, if I, I picture myself as I have now, listen, have listened to the previous hip records, anticipating this new record coming out, hearing this first track on this new record. And just like putting it on volume up, start my car, light my cigarette, open my Red Bull, whatever the fuck I was doing in the year 2000. And just fucking wow. I mean, they must have just been like, fuck, yes. I mean, this song, it was, I wrote this down. This is one of the things I wrote down in the notes. The song was born in the pocket. Like the, the when you talk about when you're in the pocket musically, I think we all know what that means. Yeah. I'm sure most of the listeners know what it means, but it's just, it's in the pocket. It just, the groove, the rhythm, the fucking instruments, everything is just fucking tight and it fits. Gord sounds fucking great. There's a great build with the, after the la 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 with the soft guitar. It, oh God. Uh, I gotta eventually get there. Um, I'll, I'll just quickly uh, add in there the, the Johnny Bay. Okay, go go go. Go ahead. No, 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 you, no, go ahead. 
I was I was gonna fill in for you the la 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 part for this one. I mean that was new. We haven't had la la las yet in songs. No, not really. Right? Right? No, no. Yeah. Um, but but Johnny Johnny Fay, yeah, drummer, yeah, really just fucking builds it into where the song, you know, starts to go at that point, and then um, there's a there's a Lord of the Rings reference in there. I think I feel like it is. I took it as what because he says middle of the earth. Ah, oh. which I'm I'm always my my record store that I grew up going to in Downey, California now now out of business was called Middle Earth and it was a fucking great re- this is the type of record store where dollars to fucking donuts man if you were there in the 90s um, they were they were like if you went in up up to the front and asked this guy Larry for a recommendation he would have fucking slipped you a hip record hands down. I was just too scared to fucking go up to Larry because he was cool. Uh-huh. Larry had a picture. Larry, Larry had a picture of David Bowie where David Bowie was smiling, not Larry. Wow! Like that goes to show you how cool fucking Larry was. Yeah. You know, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard about, like interviews with artists who had that record store they went to growing up, and how walking up to the clerk, whoever was working, was like the most intimidating thing ever. Oh, like, he, like, he, like, like so many artists would walk, I've read it, about it so many times, walk into a record store with like kind of tail between your legs, and you're afraid to purchase what you've picked for yes. being ridiculed or That's anything. Right. It's just, it was like the most... I mean, think about it back, you know, in the 80s or 70s or 90s, like going to Tower Records or wherever you go and grabbing that item and walking up to this like hipper than thou person clerk and trying to make totally. a purchase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was before that it was common where people had like, you know, sleeves of tattoos and like ear right. and nose piercings. Like you saw somebody up there at the front with a fucking a bar through the nose two sleeves of tattoos and like green hair, you know, everybody's got fucking green hair nowadays. Right. And you're just like, makes me sick. This mu- No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, <laughs> like, you know, my, 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 my nephew's got green hair for crying out loud, but like, I, I don't give a shit. You know, I'm telling my nephew what I'm listening to, but if, you know, back in the nineties, I walked up to the, to the, to the counter and like saw somebody like that. I was like, dude, I am not bringing up anything that's on the radio right now. Yeah, that's so it's cool. Be like, <laughs> that, that's so cool that you had this this tragically hip frame of reference from back in the record store days. I mean, I completely don't have that. I had a bumper sticker in college, you know, of my apartment complex neighbor. So yeah. Do you want to? Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I, I'm already to fucking do it. Blow up in the. Do it. You know what yeah. I'm gonna say? Okay. The the. The fucking the second song. I mean, it's hard to top this second song. <laughs> this is Tiger the Lion. Give me the knuckles of Frisco. It's danger in the language, gentlemen. I suggest no further use of your two-way radio.
This is what, what the fuck is Tiger the Lion? I don't. I'm just yeah, like, I don't really. I mean, the first time I heard it, right? And I did my research on it, which I kind of regret. I gotta stop looking at lyrics because once I stop looking at lyrics, these songs really open up for me. You can't um, stop though, it's gorgeous, right? Like, you know, no, but 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 I I he eventually started listening to them and internalizing them, which is better for me than reading them. Mm. Either way, this fucking song. It just opens up so messy and incoherent. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, again, putting myself in the position of a, of a, of a hit fan when they hear this for the first time, they're like, is this Gore just going off on his fucking, you know, he wrote some crazy <laughs> poetry and he's just, just, he's just, you know, free forming it right now. What's he doing? Yeah. You know, but the instrumentation on it, it's so well thought out. Right. It's, uh, I love how, because for me as a musician, I, 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 my writing style is pretty incoherent. A lot of people say, like, lyrics-wise, my shit doesn't make sense, which is, <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm going for it, but it's just, it is what it is. But the John Cage quote, yeah, yeah. oh, fuck, dude. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, I mean, I'm a huge John Cage, but just 
all about who that guy was as a fucking, as a, as an individual who brought fucking his, his brain to art and music. There's a melodic drop down and the purpose is not unique. I just, I don't know, dude, I did a little bit of research on the meaning of the song about it being like a reference to fighter pilots. Mm -hmm, Did mm -hmm. you get that too, Tim? Yep. 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 You know, big time. There's been so many World then, War II references that I just, you know, I instantly went to that, which I have, I have a emotional family connection to World War II, so that hits heavy for me. Two uh, two way radio, yeah. yeah um, yeah. but uh, this line, JD, I thought of you when I read this line. Oh. Uh, but the um, uh, not to get order from chaos. Tell you how to create simply wait to your life. Like, like there is, there, there is no order. Yeah. There's no other shoe that were, you know, and, and fuck, I don't know, dude, this fucking song is, I still can't fucking unwrap it and make sense of it. It's just a fucking banger. Yeah. What a song. I mean, Pete, as a, maybe you can clarify a little bit for me as a songwriter, you, when this one came on and you listened through it and you say that you sometimes you don't want to research lyrics just so you can live in it in your head as much as possible. Right. Is that kind of your sentiment? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think, I think the lyrics, cause I think that what you, for me, this is me personally, what, what I tend to do is, is rather than physically listen to the song, which is what the medium is meant to do, for listening, I'm reading what I'm listening to. And so it starts to, I start to make judgment upon what I'm listening mm-hmm. to based on what I'm reading, mm-hmm. which is never like, there's so many weird fucking lyrics in this fucking record. And I'm sure we can talk about it until the cows come home. Yeah. But it, it did me, it did more damage for me in the beginning because I was like, I'm not fucking getting this. I'm not getting this. And then I just was like, okay. I put the lyrics down and then I just started to listen to it incessantly. And okay. I'm like, this shit's fucking making sense. Um, okay. Got it. And then not to, not to bury the lead, but I mean, if you don't get the fucking comfortably numb, Rob Baker literally channeling the fucking David Gilmore in this fucking song. I mean, <laughs> what do you, I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, <laughs> there's one drop where it doesn't it doesn't go down to the next chord that you just feel like it's like going to comfortably boom 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 but it doesn't go there and it's just yeah his guitar tone everything about it. he's using the strat on this fucking it's great song sorry yeah amazing song I, to go from for me to go from music at work to this was like whoa this is you know if this is second gear for taking off in the car and it's like, what did our car just change into? Because the song is, <laughs> <laughs> the song is, you know, it's its own beast, man. Me and my dad jokes, dad puns, tiger, the lion. So, I mean, this is the longest song in the album. It's five and a half minutes. And I love songs that can hit five, six, seven minute mark. And you don't even know they're that long. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you hear a song and you're like, God damn, these guys just wanted this to be the longest song ever. And they succeeded. But this one, it, 
it's doesn't feel long. Very no, it doesn't feel that long. And in the I think Pete, you touched on most of it, but the the themes. You know, I I, sh- I guess I should say I don't read the lyrics or look into the lyrics until I've listened to one of these albums um, in great length or many times. So I, I try not to pay attention to the lyrics. If I'm listening to it in the car and I'm at a stop for too long, then and I can actually hit the whatever on Spotify to make the lyrics pop up. I'll check it out for a minute, but I try, I try to live in my head for as long as possible. I think kind of like you, to just get deep into the song um the the john cage references i mean there's there's so much in this song in in both that theme and kind of world war ii themes but the kind of two big takeaways for me were this song is about challenging the listener and society and anyone to appreciate like nature art in life or just art or like literature or whatever it might be. And if you live your life without recognizing any art form, then you're like a fucking robot. You know, that's kind of, that's what the song was about to me in that regard, the John Cage regard and all of that. The, his radio goes silent, you know, like I imagined this as like a, World War Two airplane pilot, you know, the, his engines destroyed, and he's just falling from the sky, you know, like oh, wow. engine stops working. This is where my head went. Engine stops working. You have this like last bit of life where you hear the wind. The radio stops working. You know, you're on your way down. That's kind of where I went with. Whoa, that's heavy, II. man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it felt to me. Um, yeah. The, okay, so I did did some research around who else is playing with this band because we've talked about the, at least the past album. I've been talking about you know who's that on backup singing blah 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 right. blah. So with this, um, I guess I could have talked about this at the beginning, but with this song we have a guy named Chris Brown from Chris Toronto Brown. Yeah. on on, on keys. keys, right? Yeah. So he he toured, he recorded and toured with the band with this um album he he came from a band or was in a band called the bourbon tabernacle choir yeah he got it and uh from the, yep. from the 80s and 90s which uh i heard of that band yeah which i didn't know an ounce about until i kind of did this research so finally i was making some headway headway with this album to hear who else we have uh contributing which is an obvious impact to me as a listener to hear kind of extra elements going on. But, uh, but this song, man, it's, it's, it could be its own album. That's what I thought. Like this song, (laughs) this song, this song on a seven inch on one side, like it's hand me that I'll, I'll pay 20 bucks for it. Like, let's go. It's, it's fucking that good. Yeah, I agree. Lake fever. The next one, the next one. This is where I was like, okay, maybe we're shifting gears into like this perfect love song or forlorn love, or is this a song about loss or remembrance or, um, you know, what is this, what is this going on? There's amazing prose within this song. Like was the brief 
dude, seriously, I, I knew Pete was just like, I knew his heart was melting <laughs> for this one. <laughs> he was probably driving down, you know, here's, here's Pete, everybody in Spain in his awesome vehicle. I don't even know what it is. And I don't want to know until I visit him someday. So no spoilers, JD, but but here's here's Pete in his awesome vehicle driving down like some coastal highway in fucking Spain. This is a dude from the LBC, right? And this song comes on and like there's tears coming from Pete's face on this beautiful sunny day. It's like I I you know I'm I'm hearing this song during fucking physical therapy just going god damn. Is this a is this a wedding song or is it a funeral song or do I want this at my wake or do I play this for Amy on her next anniversary? Like what the fuck is this emotional song going on in place three after my music at work and after Tiger the Lion, we have this lake fever. It's like, what the hell? So yeah, it was this, you know, this, this is that third gear song where I'm like, okay, Let's see. Let's see where this is going to go. What's this about? Is it? Oh, huh. Okay. Maybe it is about the cholera outbreak in Toronto in 1834. Oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. That's what it's about. Guess I'm not playing it. <laughs> no, not, not playing it next April 14th, honey. <laughs> but it's, but Jeez, it's, man. it's more than that because it's, <laughs> the protagonist is regaling his potential lover with that story. Like sure. the song isn't necessarily about lake fever. It's like this couple are walking in the woods about to go, you know, have sex. And he's so nervous that he's trying to like you know, talk to this girl and he's telling her, well, there was this time in Toronto that <laughs> there was a, a sewer backup and cholera got into the lake and it went all the way up to Ottawa and near Kingston and it was terrible. Uh, Many people died and she's just like, hurry. Just hurry. <laughs> just coital fury, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, that line, man. Fuck, it's good. Dude, you know, I tell you, it's it's funny because I think it's just the Canadian. I mean, last week, Tim and I both heard the rush in fireworks for last week's uh, record. But, you know, I, I started to hear the first thing I heard, and now I like don't hear it at all. But the first thing I heard with this song was the percussion feeling very, once again, very Alanis. Right? Wow. But... Yeah, put that all kind of behind. It's kind of all in the all in the past, dude. The Glockenspiel, which I think they're using, and like the keyboard effect over when he says the word courage, is. I'm just. You're right, Tim. I'm I'm driving down the fucking coast <laughs> in the mountainous, windy roads of Malaga, Spain, and just fucking crying with my wind blowing, <laughs> my hair blowing in the wind. Cigarette out the window, the arm, just like. Oh, just fucking loving this. Um, We're going to get into it a little bit more because I because there's a there's a couple of songs on this record. And I I remember I don't know what record it was. Oh, it was was Troll Dan House that I referred to as 
Um, as the tragically hips zero. Yes. All right. Yes. Right. But do you know what this record is? Yeah. And it's funny because this record actually came out before the record I'm going to reference. And I'll tell you why. All right. Hit me. This is fucking the tragically hips Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Wow. All of the fucking instrumentation on it, all the pianos, the echoey pianos, a lot of the guitars. It's so fucking Wilco, man. Mm. And so I start thinking to myself, well, you know, what what the fuck did um what you know what do we no I'll I'll get into it I'll, I'll get into it the next song I'll get into we'll go give her uh, well give her. yeah we're going to uh, put down so this song there's a line in there saying the United States of Ricochet oh something something Appian Way oh, you know what I'm talking about yep. JD I I don't know the lyric offhand oh, though sorry it's a great fucking line. And I'm getting very like ashes of American flags, like references to, because I feel like, I feel like Gord was really um, getting, like a lot of the shit that he focused on was the, God, the, the, the phrase, the term I'm trying to look for, like the plight of Canadians. Okay. I got it. I got you it know? here if you want me to read um, yeah, you want to read yeah, it, Tim? United States of Ricochet line. from the Boardwalk to the Appian Way, which I... From the Boardwalk yeah, to Appian Way, yeah. yeah that's Diamond Files, Corporate um, Raves. Yeah. So, so he he's... I feel like up until this point, he's made a lot of references to not just the indigenous folks up north in terms of, you know, what he's talked about and then what I know he's eventually going to talk more about but i started to think like god what other band do i know that did that and like that's kind of where wilco went you know they they had uncle tupelo and then am which was their first record and being there were kind of like a a soft watered down version of of that country vibe of uncle tupelo and then when they hit Yankee Hotel, it was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? That's band? right. This is not the same band I remember hearing. And um, I got the same vibe. And so I, anyway, I Googled and started doing a little research, come to find out. So I read Jeff Tweedy's uh, uh, memoir, which is a great book. You'll get through it in a day, man. It's called um, Let's Go So We Can Get Back. And he references them on tour with Tragically Hip during the Another Roadside Attraction tour. Well, that's right, the third one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, just uh, this record came out a year before Yankee Hotel. So I don't know what, if they were trading demos back and forth or they were playing music together on tour. And But fuck, man. I mean, so many similarities with this record and that record. Interesting. So many. Do you, do you feel you might catch my drift here, but do you feel like uh, when you hear other bands and are reminded of Wilco, do you feel like 
Wilco has just borrowed so much from other bands, or do you feel like I'm not gonna? We're not gonna turn this into a Wilco podcast, by the way. Or do you feel like Wilco, like really, or do you feel like Wilco just absolutely stand on their own as songwriters? Because I mean, that's there. That's like to me songwriting music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Does that make? Um, it's a good question, and I'll, I'll answer it as short as possible because I think it's a, this is something you could fucking yeah have a garage yeah, yeah. with a, with a, you know, half ounce and fucking go on forever. But I think Jeff Tweedy is an amazing songwriter sure. and he'd probably be the first one to admit that they've taken so much from other people. Yeah. But I think that that band, especially when they were, when they, when they went in their, their record two two records after um, they did, Yankee Hotel was a record called Sky Blue Sky. When they really got into that, they were just like, they were at the top of their feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they knew how to, um, but it's, it's hard to say, man. I mean, it's a great question, Tim, because I, you could say the same for Tragically Hip. Who are they both? Oh, big from? time. I mean, yeah, we've had so many references. I don't think. I don't think Rob Baker would he'd be the last person to say he wasn't fucking playing the exact notes that Gilmore played on fucking comfortably right. on that guitar solo or on Tiger the Lion. But it's not like you're saying, oh, you're stealing. It's like it's an homage. It's also working it into a song that is not that yeah. song is, you yeah. know, yeah. you do it all. Dude, I, I've been writing a tune this week that is a. There's a indie rock tune adapted from the fucking opening theme of of one of the Legend of Zelda songs. That's so cool. And am I stealing from Koji Kondo? Yes, but it's in, so I look at it more as an inspiration. Well, I mean, they, they, I mean, all all artists, you know, are inspired from every direction. I just I, would, I don't want to get into it too deep. I just went from no, I, don't, I, I just no, I, I, I think asked. this is good because I, I, I think good I mean, songwriters, I, I think good songwriters make it almost like a magician, you know, like a good songwriter. You don't see the sleight of hand. You don't see the palming. You don't see it like they're absolute pros and they stand on their own. But of course you you can't help, but be affected by what you are exposed to and what you enjoy, you know, you can't help it. Yeah. 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 And JD, you're right when you say that, because there was something that I, that I, that I put down and I think I sent it to you, but I put this down uh, about a month and a half ago. And there was a, there was a little guitar lick I put on there and it was, it was Nell. I recorded it with a fucking jazz master. It was Nell's Klein from fucking Wilco. And I was like, I was so worried that it was so obvious. And I played it for Issa and my wife and I played it for you. And I think I was like, was it too much? And like, no, it was just, it was just right. It was, it was perfect. It was like, kind of like a little, but to me, it was like my ears. I literally stole the fucking notes from him and played, like I took them and I said, those are mine now. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, but like, it's, it's not easy to do, man. I don't know. JD, I, th- I, I thought, I think, it, I think they, they pulled up. I thought it was just me, JD, that Pete called up in the, middle of my night and serenaded me with some guitar licks. <laughs> Damn. I'm not feeling as special now. <laughs> You'll get it, Tim. You'll get it. 
Hey, I what thought putting down. Putting, putting I, down, yeah. Yeah, so putting down, I felt like repeat commented on the, you know, the references and stories of this this great uh, continent and what we did to the indigenous folks that were already here and the land grabs and, you know, that's 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 hitting hard with this one. And I feel like with Gord's themes and songwriting and his, uh, you know, connotations of it all, it's this, this is, this is the, that song for the album. I thought it was like big and heavy. Um, I didn't really know what it was, what it was about my first handful of listens. I couldn't really peg it, um, until I, until I did a little bit deeper diving into it. But, you know, it was at the big, my first few listens, it was kind of like, a car ride sing along song. Um, I felt, you know, it was, it just felt familiar. It felt hip. I didn't think like this is the best song on the album. And I thought it held its place on the album for what it was. So it was, that's, that's kind of where it ended with me. Cool. The next one stay on the other hand, I thought, man, this song, it's quiet. It's cute. It's cute. I haven't, I hadn't had that feeling before. Is it a thank you? You know, the, the Bureau Chiefs and the Shrugging Spies, I, I thought this was, at first, when I first heard this, <laughs> I thought, this is hilarious, and without researching it, I thought this was like a thank you or something to the band's road crew, because I heard um, Beer and Cheese and Shrugging Spies, not Chiefs. I mean, I, I was like, I was so incorrect with this song. You were a great crew. You were a great you. You know, what's, what is the storyline here? Is it about going to war and relationships or what, what is going on here? Maybe a little of everything. Yeah, maybe. But one, you know, after I did, after the week, um, sit down and kind of research what it's about. Hopefully, Pete, you have some more music based comments about it but one person i need to uh shout out here the the handle is um the letter y salvatore there was a, a songmeanings.com reference from 2005 so this this is amazing it said one theory is the song is about fox Mulder from the x-files lines like there's no one up above us and with the Bureau Chiefs and the Shrugging Spies. On the X-Files series, Mulder is often working against the establishment. As a sentiment in this song, you've got no business in here, brother. Mulder is obsessed. <clears throat> Pete from Milaga with UFOs. So lines like, you see a light and then another. This this song, maybe it's about UFOs. Maybe it's about aliens. I don't know. This, this was like, this was a total head scratcher for me. Not to say that I didn't like it, but it was like, what is this song about? It wasn't beer and cheese. I don't think. No, it's not. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because one of the lines I wrote is this song makes me want to sit in a pub and drink beer with my buddy. It's like, I just, I didn't say eat cheese, <laughs> but like, <laughs> that's the vibe I got. Though, right? I mean, it's, um, there's, there's, okay. Um, I could say a lot. I really like this song a lot. I loved it. The riffing that Gore does with the vocals. I think there's a, there's a bridge part of all things being balanced where 
John Faye's drums. I feel like every musician on this record, on this record, really shines. Like everybody shines. Gord Sinclair, I feel like, has always been really top notch. Like he, that guy is fucking flawless. He's so underrated. Extremely underrated. When it comes to, you know, I, I just because I'm. You know, playing-wise, obviously, Gordoni. I mean, there's nothing you can say about that. But playing-wise, Paul Leng- Lenglois? Am I saying? Lengua. 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 Um, and Rob Baker, I've always kind of gone back. I'm starting to appreciate the differences between those guys because they're two diametrically yeah, yeah. different guitar players. I mean, so different. Completely. And And... That happened on this album, don't you? Think? Oh yeah, more yeah. so. It's really noticeable. And I, yeah. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole this week. Um, I'll, I'll try not to go as deep as I went, but I told JD, you know, I was watching some live stuff and looking at, you know, looking at Rob Baker's setup. Paul Lingwah, he always plays that black Les Paul. But Rob Baker plays that Strat, which I fucking love. And he's got something called Lace Sensors pickups in it, which, not to get too technical for the listeners, like they were apparently these were like standard issue Fender pickups from 90, from 85 to like 96, and then they just became too expensive. But they're really cool. The only shitty part is they look horrible on a guitar. They don't look, it doesn't make it look like a Strat. Anyway, but he also plays a Paul Reed Smith, which I absolutely hate those guitars because, and JD, I told you this, they were, they're the Carlos Santana (laughs) guitar. And when they first became like uh, available to the public, so to speak, or like mainstream people were able to buy them. I remember walking into a guitar center in the nineties and seeing one up on the wall that was like, it was like nineteen or twenty thousand dollars. It was like ridiculous. And oh just going, God. and now you can buy a PRS for like, like eighteen hundred bucks, two grand. But it just, it just turned me off, and I fucking hate. And I just, if I'm Rob Baker, if I Rob, if you're listening, just, just don't ever play the, don't ever play the fucking PRS, man. Get rid of it, ditch it. <laughs> the telly's cool, but that Strat is where it's at, man. Yeah, he plays. He does play a tough. And oh, there's yeah. one other one I can't. Yeah, I can't remember. But there's a great website, if, and I sadly have been on it more times than I can count. Uh, oh, and he plays an SG. He What's plays an SG, and I, I play an SG too. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the website's called equipboard.com, and it's got. They could pretty much look at any like musician that's like you know quote unquote made it so to speak and find their rig and they have the references like not just like they don't just tell you but they go this is why we know that this is what they're playing and they have a link to like a concert video or a picture of them pointing out the gear which is fucking cool it's really cool yeah I love neither of you guys mentioned it but I love Gord's voice in this song yeah. he's doing a different sort of uh a different sort of thing with his voice it's it's lower register um 
softer, I suppose, right? Because it is a soft song, but uh, it's it's down. It's you know, sorry, you can't see my hand, but it's down here, like belly button wise. Like it's uh, is really quite quite uh, effective on this song. Yeah. I agree with that. Judy, when are you going to fix your your belly button cam? Are you going to get that going next next pod? What's that? My belly button cam? (laughs) (laughs) That took me a minute to get. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Track number six. Track number six is The Bastard. This is a song called uh, This is the Bastard. The Bastard being having to choose.
Thank you. Wow. This song starts with the. They're not bongos, but there's some sort of kind of cool percussion. They're they're yeah, it's some kind of yeah yeah yeah. Um, um, there's a lot. It's fun. I, I love when they bring those in. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, this song lyrically is fucking insane. There's a word in there called crepuscular. What is that? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, it means um, adjective of resembling or relating to twilight. Yeah, I mean. Wow. I, gnarly shit in it. Oh, guard. Oh, man. Crepuscular so rays. Yeah. As the sun groomed the plain with crepuscular What's rays. What's the line in there about the purple Italians? Like, it's just. Yeah, what is, what is that I referencing? Know. I meant to look that up. I meant to look that up more and did not. Some weird ass lyrics. I, I noticed something too. I love the line, the presaging. Pell Nell. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pre, the pre, pre-sage Pell Nell. Yeah. That was my favorite. It's, um, I noticed that in addition to, 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 um, Gord Sinclair being so in the fucking zone on this song, like a, like a, like a hypnotized fucking, I don't know, dude, he's just, He's a, a fucking machine on this song. He, uh, I watched a little bit of the Woodstock, rec, uh, Woodstock live show '99, and in this song, mm-hmm. um, g- during Grace Two, which is what they opened up with, Gord starts testing out some of these lyrics to this song during Grace Two. Bird's yeah, eye yeah. view, right? He talks about a bird's eye view of a bird's eye view. Yep. Yeah. 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 So cool that you got to see that. Finished watching the whole thing, and you and you recognize. Oh yeah, yeah. I went down a rabbit hole the other day and was just watching a whole bunch. I started with that one. I I I texted you guys and was like, "Yeah, I'm watching it." And for the beginning of Grace Two, it's all drums and and Gord's voice, which I don't which I don't mind, but I want to hear those guitars, you know. Like, and then suddenly it it kicks in. But uh, the um, the the purple people, the purple Italian people, I just found it was a Italian mass protest movement to call for the resignation of a prime minister, one of their prime ministers. I feel like. I don't know. There must have been earlier historical use of this because this is this is actually from 2009. So yeah, I'm I'm curious. Well, I forgot to tell you guys that Gord is actually a uh, uh, a mystic. He could uh, see in, in the, the future. future. Yes, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, if, guys. If there's guys. any if there's any more if there's any more insight on the purple people, somebody somebody let us know. Tim at getting hit. There you go. Oh, send it. Plug that email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get our dollars worth. <laughs> <laughs> I um I love the presaging pell mell. Like there's been a handful, I wish I'd have would have started a list of uh gordisms that you know would be so fun to learn and reference because that that was so good. When I first heard him sing sing that it was like Well what is Pell Mell? You know, well, it just means like um, it just means like 
absurd craziness or warning. Like presaging means like warning together. Well, pell-mell means confusion or disorder or like a confused haste. So it's it's presaging is you know the warning of a, dis, a disorderly moment or the, the the warning of something about to go down. That's kind of what That's I took. That's dire. I love it. Presaging yeah. yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a loaded three words, basically. The, the um, I think uh, Pete hit on a lot of it, but this song to me kind of got us back in the car and down the road again. It was like right. driving, rocking, feeling, which I, which I totally dug. The reference of all of this auger as well, you know, auger meaning like a fucking coring, drilling, coring into something, and it's just this good rocking song. It's, it's me, different it, it though. Filled, Aug- it auger, is auger spelled one way is is coring, but there's another like to auger is to portend a good or bad outcome. Okay, so it's like to portend. Yeah, and I, I believe that's what it, like it's all this auger as well. Like, uh, but mm-hmm. right, like auger a well could mean digging a hole, but auger as well means pretending to portending to good things are going to happen. Okay, okay. I just thought so, there were some beautiful lyrics in here. Also, I mean, yeah. all this auger as well, or yeah, it's the. The, the stanza, never mind that pool in the mountains, victory came and went on winged elephants. I saw you, all this auger as well. Like, you know, what, what is, what is going on there? But it, I, I thought it was likely this loaded, very story specific song without researching it. You know, I heard the lyrics, Billy Sunday shouting Philadelphia for Christ. Like who, who really is this song about? Did you look up Billy and, Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. I loved, I loved reading about that. This is like one of those, this is it's one of those songs. Crazy, right? You, you barely, you barely touch into on the research side and realize that, you know, Billy Sunday was baseball, baseball player. player. I want to say a pitcher. From like 1891, yeah. yeah, he was this total, this this I guess amazing pitcher, and he played for Chicago and Boston and Philly, and which during those times you played for a team like your whole career. You know, you stayed in the city, you 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 became a presence with the team and the community and all that stuff if you did. But this 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 fellow William Ashley or Billy Sunday. Sunday was his family name. He he was like a total drunk ladies man, and he moved from team to team to team. And I think this, from what I read, the cops and the ladies got to know him really well. And then uh, after playing in Philly, he he was witnessed to like on the street, and ultimately became a traveling preacher. And he uh, <laughs> became went from standout pitcher to traveling preacher and while he was preaching teams even were soliciting him to come back and pitch and and during those days if you made like 400 bucks a month playing 
professional baseball, that was like a You're great high the hog. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and at one at one point at one point I read the Pittsburgh Pirates offered him two thousand a month and he still declined and he still continued to be a traveling preacher and his um his his kind of shtick was um, talking about like the sex and alcohol lifestyle from what I gathered a lot of, a lot about alcohol and, and it was yeah. so much that when towns heard he was coming, they would just close up the bars until he was out <laughs> until, literally. Cause he was so like, you know, he was, he was a, his own, um, um prohibitionist. So it's, it was, that was, yeah. What's the, yeah. But, what's you the know, guy I'm he, thinking of that was the runner? Then, I don't know. Guy I'm who sure. ran, I'm not sure. like lost his leg or something. Forrest Gump? No, no. This is a reference from no. from the hip. Oh, Terry Fox. Terry Fox. Terry yeah. Fox. Yeah. No. He's a guy that ran would okay. try to run across Canada or something, and he got close, That's but right. he died. He ran a marathon every day. He ran a marathon every day on one leg. Yeah. Oh fuck. And okay. Yeah, because and he was he was like. He was 21 years old and he got cancer. They removed his leg and he decided he was going to run across Canada and he started on the East coast. He passed away in Thunder Bay. So he, he passed away about one third of the way through. Wow. Oh, it's uh, fucking still, man. But, uh, but it's like every day his stump was like, like euchred because he was wearing one of those. Oh. Like now probably somebody could do it on one of those, like one of those spring yeah. legs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but back in the day he had like just an old school prosthetic leg oh. and it was it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Pete on this one on this one, did you feel like did you ever get an inkling like uh perhaps this one was music first, lyric second, or did you pick up at all on like the kind of background guitar riffing that was kind 100%. of out over here and yeah, it was like I don't know. Sounded a little afterthought-ish. That guitar riffing just kind of carrying you through. It all worked, but this one, this one, I think compositionally, you know, song story, Billy Sunday reference aside, which is amazing to dive into and learn about. I mean, I I, I almost want to like paint Billy Sunday or something with like on the pulpit with a baseball bat and. That's cool. A, a fifth of whiskey in the other hand, or something. But anyways, I felt like compositionally, the songs, songwriting wise, was fits in the album. It just kind of fits in there, but also like, eh, it. it, it you weren't big on it. No, it, it didn't. It didn't grab me. It was like, okay, let's get back in the car. We're back on the road. Let's get through the song. It's rocking. Yeah, let's see what's. Let's see what's next. I think at first, I, at and, first, and it was like that. But then the song really like. Because mu- instrumentally, it's so fucking rich. But yeah, but like Gord, yeah. you know, dude, okay. again, Gord could match, you know, pick the most complex composition that any composer's ever written. And I'm sure there is some fucking book that Gord Downey wrote lyrics in somewhere floating around or shoved in his fucking basement that lyrics i would hope there's like yeah like 200 yeah he could fit to that i mean they, they probably just yeah so i i feel you i feel you yeah um so let's move into track number seven the completest completest i don't have a ton to say about this i would say 
I I really love this song. Again, this is a fade in from the previous track. Um, Gord Sinclair again, another fucking standout performance on this song. The percussive chops of the band at this point in the record. I mean, it, it, there are other songs and that that come up that you're just like, what the fuck, but like they're. They are not a bar band anymore. I mean, I know they, they no. still, Correct. but I, I still think like, I don't know if it was Phantom Power before, a couple record or two before, you know, you see that kind of bar band thing still rearing its head a little bit. Like this is just so far from that. These guys are fucking, they've really become superb musicians from the EP to now. Like, yeah. They've honed okay. their fucking yeah. craft. And then the road tested. Yeah, I mean, it's the road, it's the recording, it's the composition, but it it's clear that like every single musician in this band is like, I want to become better at my instrument and I'm gonna do this. It wasn't just like they just played a bunch, kept doing it, like they clearly actively tried to become better musicians as they were continued like i would put that to any of these fucking guys if they were standing in front of me and tell like tell me i'm lying like tell me i'm full of shit and they would say no like whether it's i mean fucking kirk hammock for fuck's sake was taking lessons from steve Vai when he was already in metallica like what does that tell you right you know like like yeah musicians want to become better and they these guys clearly uh, the only thing I was going to say was the woman singing. I thought it was Kate Fenner from before, but it's not, right? I don't know. I thought it was Kate Fenner. Apparently it's um, Julie Doiron. Dorian? Julie Doiron. Dorian. Oh, Julie Dorian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. But I, and this is just, you know, I want to say this earlier, Tim, but I want to say that um, I did do a little research on Kate Fenner. And her um her label that she's signed to is called UFO Music, so that's awesome. Oh, you must love that. I do. You just stole my thunder for for uh, Toronto Four, <laughs> but we'll get there. <laughs> I thought the lyrics in this song were beautiful. <laughs> it was fucking the beautiful fucking lyrics, amazingly beautiful. Lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look into Julie Dorian. I had not found her. And we have, we will get to it, but we haven't talked much about Kate Fenner, nor, you know, who we mentioned um, earlier. Chris Brown. Uh, the fellow on keys, Chris Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, this, this song, The Completest, I felt like it was like, at first, it was kind of okay, we're already back to a slowdown like it felt a little bit of a chug placement wise in the album's beautiful song um you know i just didn't it kind of left me hanging a little bit like i i it didn't didn't grab me and shake me around or rattle me around or you know anything like that it felt like it could have been an ender like it felt like oh. is this the the end of the album i mean this could be the end of an album so that's well, the side one if you're thinking well, maybe. LPs. LPs. Okay. Okay. And that would make sense with our next song, too, Freak Turbulence, mm. opening side two, 
uh, with a banger, right? Yeah, big time. I mean, this this is like we are alive again. We're back in the driver's seat or the passenger yeah. seat. Like we have, um, you know, this backup singing again. I think this was Kate Fenner at this time. I'm I'm not sure between the two. I don't I don't know enough of uh, Julie's voice to distinguish between the two. Um, there are definitely people out there that will tell us for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna look it up because I think I I got Kate Fenner down. I mean, yes, yeah, yeah. So this back to the song though. It, there's a a comedy factor here. Am I wrong? Like, this is so much about Gord being afraid to fly or not liking flying. It feels or, like it, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's uh there's you know all this talk about. I don't know. It feels lighter and more fun than you. Like, did the captain just say this? Like, did yeah. the captain just say like, we'll, "We'll we'll land in less than ten minutes," or he says, "Or unless." Did he say unless or less? Yeah, he's I like he's that. afraid. Yeah. You know, it's it. Uh, I think this is the song that the guys were had to uh, fly back to Canada from the U.S. because originally this album was to be recorded on a moving locomotive train. They talked about doing that, yes. I don't know how that would have ever happened. No from shit. A, from but an what audio a perspective. fucking cool idea. I mean, imagine yeah. that, Pete. Moving locomotive with all the sounds and shakes and rattles. I mean, maybe maybe for a song, but a whole album? Oh, that was some serious... That was some serious weed smoke yeah. came up with that idea. You know what we should do, guys? We should fly back down to Memphis. The Ganjin King Take the train. Take the train to LA and record the album. Anyways, this this is a, this was kind of a fun song. It was a little more jovial. I I, I dug it. There's a weird P.E. Pie caught this. There's some weird guitar feedback like the last 10 seconds or so which made the song feel kind of ominous or maybe the freak turbulence was like the plane going down i don't know it was it was uh it was funny in that in that regard it was like total head scratcher but this one this one i kind of dug oh i dug this one man there's a line in there that really stuck with me it's satan backhands our nose and our chin yeah yeah I love that. There's a really, I think the mix, there was a lot of moments where I wrote down, this is probably the first time I've said it, but it's written on a ton of songs. The mix on this song, how they mix this song with the instruments, like Mm. the levels of all the instruments is just so fun. It really, you know, makes the fucking song. See, it makes this song so fucking cool. The vocals build yeah, I really, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, rather than to, I'll, I'll save my, you know, I'll yield my time only because I have some, some hefty shit to say about some stuff coming up. But I, this song made me run, like a, when this song came on and I was going on some runs, I definitely put it into a higher gear with this song. I love, I oh, loved huh? it. I loved it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's electric. It's, Especially after the completed, yeah. you know, transitioning into this one, it's like, yeah. yes, okay, here we go again. This is definitely the, if it's side two, it definitely is the the side one, get us going again. Um, sharks, can I go? Sharks, yeah. um, 
This one kind of lazes along for me. It's got a few interesting bridges, but it's kind of monotonous. But not not I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's almost like it's almost got this head down shoegazy kind of feel, you know. Then at the three minute mark, there's this like heavy tom kind of bass kind of transition in there. It's the the bass guitar is like kind of all over the neck for just a brief second but um you know it's one of the the song is it has what i enjoyed because they they're starting to do this more because they're all just accelerating as musicians is that it has um like well over a minute of music the last portion of it is just like great music carrying you through rather than singing until like the last seconds or giving like seven seconds at the end or what have you. So it's, it was kind of a fun song in that way. It's just, it just felt different than the rest with, but also worked, you know, positively. I love, this is another fade in from the previous track, which I love that they're, that they're doing that, making it very concepty. I love the line in there about the Mariana's Trench. That's just fucking cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's such a... Mm-hmm. It's always been a fascination of mine. Probably since I saw fucking... What was the name of that movie? With Ed Harris? Uh, I don't know. Oh, it was a James Cameron movie, for Christ's sake. It was huge. The Abyss. The Abyss. Oh, The Abyss. The Abyss was the Mariana's Trench. Um, right, 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 right. But yeah, I mean, the big standout for me here is is Rob Baker's guitar. is just fucking insanity. He does these really cool arpeggios in the song. And the coolest thing for me was, I was like, what's that fucking effect on his guitar? And I was like, I wrote this down early on. I was like, he's got a, like a delay on the guitar, but not a delay, so it's going bum, 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 bum. It's so... The delay time is so small that you can't really hear it like a repetitive delay. It's just, when you put it down almost to zero, it just has this cool. And then I look on no shit by the time I found that website and he's got a Line 6 DL4 delay pedal that no doubt he was using on this fucking song. (laughs) It just made me feel cool because I was like, my ears still work after all these years, but... I fucking love it. <laughs> if I didn't, I didn't think there was a song that could rival Tiger the Lion, and I still don't think it beats it, but it's pretty up there, and that's fucking Toronto 4.
violation of free fall, the rock bottom, the sweet betrayal. Talk to me. Talk to me. I mean, the the way it opens with the, like, the record static. Yep. yep. Again, Rob Baker's doing these weird arpeggios. Like, he, like, it, it's kind of like a falling guitar. Like, he goes from a, like a, it's a D chord or whatever the hell. The octave, then the chord, then the seventh, then the diminished makes it feel really sad. It's just, or like kind of sad and mysterious and it's floating. It's like all the echoey shit that there's, I don't know if it's Kate Fenner on this. Um, it is. It is? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the way that the, I don't know if it's like he's using mallets or what, but Johnny Faye is like coming in with the cymbals with these really soft mallets that like kind of give it like a gong sound to make it really super dramatic, but the, the, the songs, it's fucking awesome. I mean, I was like, and it was weird because this was a song that early on I would get through the first nine tracks because I was doing like shorter runs when I would take it out and I didn't get to like Toronto four. And then the first time I heard it, I was like, what in the fuck? The surf tone on the guitar is just, it's a cool jam, dude. It's cool as fuck. A lot of Pink Floyd, I feel, influence on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with all that. I felt like the percussions on this, the drums on this one, had sort of this metronome, just more of a, I don't the know. Pan, was he do, he did the panning on the left to right? Yeah, like the, the pace of the percussion really, to me, held the song like all the way through. And... And was perfect. I mean, I I often hone in on drum stuff, like you do guitar, and and I felt like that was just I don't know. This the song is it starts slow. It's emotional. It kind of feels like apologetic, you know. Also feels like I don't know familiar. Maybe it's like the mention of Vesuvius as a metaphor for like just family and stresses and breakups and. I don't know. The song was just, it's, it's pretty jam packed. I didn't look big into background on lyrics or story or any of that. I, you know, I just questioned, which I said to JD like a week ago, I was like, why the hell Toronto four? Are there three other Toronto songs or what is, what is that about? So if anybody my knows, o- my only guess is yeah. like my, as far as just guesswork, 
is it might be it might have been the fourth run you know it might have been the fourth take like it's sometimes mm-hmm. okay. you you use the the studio parlance to come up with the title of a song totally. that you can't quite name yeah well this is a great it's a great song and you're right you you nailed it on the head when you talk about family yeah yeah it's it's definitely familial it's you know it's about the matriarch of of his family his grandmother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. holding holding things up and that what what are the first the first lyrics are um absolutely they slay me and i can't recall them at the did moment did you know you were the they, rock plug for us all did you know you were the conduit of vesuvius you were far more unifying than you know i'm not a a judge of suitable but you almost had it all i mean if that's about his grandma being the what a tribute the rock plug for their family. I mean, rock plug is definitely a volcanic reference of, you know, a rock holding the mountain together before the magma just blows it apart. So it's right. pretty fucking cool. Pretty, pretty yeah. cool. I mean, is this, this one maybe has the simplest lyrics that we've seen in a while. It's, it's a beautiful song. So Kate Fenner on this one, just to touch on her because I I've I think we've heard her before, although I only found that she toured, recorded and toured for this album. But man, right. she's she's got this. How do you describe her voice? I think it's just gorgeous. I think it's yeah, it's, it's really just lovely. it's 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 lovely. She she somebody described her as less a lusty alternative to a Joni Mitchell-ish sound. Like, all of that is is true. So she's got um, her own solo stuff. Um, she's got, a, uh, as Pete mentioned, UFO Records is her label. She's got this new album out that I touched on briefly over the weekend. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty... She, she's got a beautiful voice. Like, if she ever tours and we get a chance to just go and any of us hear her perform, I'm sure it would be worth it. She's just got a dreamy voice. So yeah, great, great addition. I mean, to, I don't know if you saw this tour, JD, but was she, did. did she, yeah. Do you recall her on stage or? Yeah, because it was, it was strange because both Chris Brown and her were on stage with them the whole time. And that was, okay. it was, a, it was sort of a strange look because up until that point, it had been the five of them on stage. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And so this, you know, it changed the dynamic for sure. Um, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you that when this record dropped, I liked it, but I didn't love it. But now, okay. 20 years later, yeah, I fucking love this record. I can, yeah. listen, to this. I can listen to this record at any time. Like, yeah. any time. Yeah. Top to bottom. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now let's go toward the bottom and talk about Wild Mountain Honey. Dude, I love Me? this one. So right. I, I'm yeah. I'm taking I'm taking on this one, Mr. Pete. Okay. You can you can fill in. Do it. Yeah, like this this to me, I heard Pink Floyd, I heard Jerry Garcia of guitar effects. Like I, I heard like fish. I don't know, like this song to me, the even the the title is different like this one was just a little bit different there you know it's the the drums are soft but they can sound kind of angry this this is one of the songs on the album after you know the first time listening it through 
or I thought, okay, I need to find this one live and check it out because I'm sure it gets played harder and louder, maybe faster. Um, there's just really good chord changing and bridges and guitar riffs, and it feels a little bit patched or contrived at the end, you know, was hoping for like a big finish the first time I heard this one. Cause it really grabbed me. It made it, it just, this to me was like hip fans who have seen the band play live a bunch. Probably love this one live. You know, this one just, it hits some marks for me with going, um, with going after like, Followers of other bands who I knew probably in the same summer saw Grateful Dead play or saw Fish play and saw the Tragically Hit play. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of times when I experience bands playing uh, live over the course of a summer, it kind of, you know, dictates that summer. Like you think back to that summer and you're like, oh, that's when I went to X Festival or that's when I saw. A band play show. a couple times. Yeah, like that's yeah, definitely. Papa Roach, so but no, this 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 one was uh this kind of real this this kind of centered me back into the seed of the tragically hip. I really really dug it. I ended up listening to it a handful of times by itself. So Oh wow. Cool. Probably that not a single though, right? Not a single, no. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while they have a song that's not a single. That's a little bit off character that I dig. And this is one of those. I thought that, I mean, the song, it's funny. Ironically, it starts out like wild mountain honey. It begins like the name does soft, like wild mountain honey. Then it creeps up on you like a whiskey and it fucking destroys you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny because I remember looking for the lyrics online and realize there's a Steve Miller song called Why I'm Not Honey as well. Mm. But when I when I saw the title of this, I thought of the Beach Boys song Wild Honey, which neither of those examples are even close to this song. But what I got <laughs> what I got from it was I fucking love the rhythms in this fucking the drums in the rhythms. The drum hits in this fucking song are so cool and they're so unique. And they don't sound like another band. Like there's something, there's some songs that, like I mentioned, of some Wilco stuff earlier. There's other songs from other hip records where it's like they're doing a drum hit or a drum fill, and you're like, yeah, that's the same drum fill that this band did on this song, and that been this is completely fucking different, and it's so fucking cool, it's so unique. The rhythms mm-hmm. in the song. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a weird like keyboard or like flute effect in the background going down. It's re- it was really faint and hard to pick up. I'm pretty sure it was a keyboard, but it could have been like a some sort of setting. But um, I love the line. I don't want to put another thought in my head. Um, just thought that was so fucking cool towards the end. And then the song. The solo starts before, but the part at about three minutes, 30 seconds of the guitar solo. Just, I don't know, dude. I hope I run it. That kind of, that carries it to the end, right? It does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to like, I want to like, want to, want to 
want to run into Rob Baker at like a Seven Eleven or something, like him, him <laughs> buying a Slurpee, and like me, me already up front and being like, "Hey, man, let me get this guy Slurpee, and like I'll pay for it or something." Just be like, yeah, "All right, man." <laughs> what a gentleman you are! Like, just I want to be that guy. Like, to just like it's just I, I I've it's weird that I did not expect to like where I'm at so far in the discography of this band for him to slowly become one of my like almost favored guitar players like and this guy that I never knew before and I'm like right I fucking love his fucking guitar playing dude yeah it's fucking really good yeah that's 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 an amazing gift for you bro what's that so that's an amazing gift for you to have oh. this discovery of a, a new influence. Totally. Know? Absolutely, Tim. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So Train Overnight, the next one, I think I'll backtrack. I think this is the one that was supposed to be the influence, the idea of recording right. from a train across the that's south. Right. It references know? it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. So the story was they they showed up to go do this. And um, I don't know where I would guess Memphis or somewhere down there, but the train um, was out of commission and the guy who owned the train was like, sorry, it's done. It's never going to hit the rails again. So that whole idea was, was Kabosh. I forgot I had these, these notes down here. Um, But there's, you know, this great drum startup. There's this kind of perfect bass coming in um, the I don't know. The guitars were following each other like really well rather than lead and rhythm. Like I felt like they were more kind of in sync. Um, Playing off each other very well. Yeah. Yeah. This, this one overall was like a little bit more tough for me to crack aside from those kind of basic takeaways. But I don't know. What would you think of this one, Pete? Um, I loved it. I don't have a ton to say about it, but I will say yeah. that, um, Again, great uh, rhythm on the drums. Like that, it just really unique. There's a really cool key change that happens in there with the guitars. Mm. And then I don't know, I can't remember where in the song, but there's a part where they bring it down and it gets really soft, and and Sinclair's bass just, you know. He puts the baby to sleep, dude. Just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> just fucking puts the baby to sleep. I loved it. If yeah, I don't have too much to say, too much more to say about this, unless you do, Tim. I was gonna kind of kick into the bear. Yeah, go for it. This the the, the opening of the song is Wilco. It's or Wilco got how to open their fucking future songs based on this song. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's so, yeah. The, um, the keyboards after there's a line more capable than anything, there's this oscillating like keyboard effect that's over in the left side of the ear, the way they mixed it. Mm. Um, just the overall instrumentation and the arrangements on this song Like, it's a pretty simple song. Like, it's not, like, anything fucking crazy, but it's just an example of, like, how good the fucking musicians are at this point because they could take a simple-ass fucking song and make it sound (laughs) so cool by everything they're doing in it. Man, it's... I don't know. Maybe some of it has to do with production, too, but just... Yeah, this is the second time working with Steve Berlin. 
So that's got to, like, I, I don't know because I've never been, well, I have been in a studio, but like, I don't know about working with a producer two times in a row, but I'm going to guess there's benefit there, right? You you start to learn some shorthand, you you know what you can get away with, you, you sort of know what they're looking for sonically. Well, if it's a know? good experience, yeah, if it's a good yeah. experience, yeah. I would imagine if it's not, then it makes it, you know, doubly as hard, but, mm. but yeah. How about you, Tim, the bear? I mean, if any of us win the lottery anytime soon, we should make a movie out of this song, because this one, you know, if you, uh, musically, I don't have a whole lot on it. I just thought it was well composed, but the story here. Tell us about so, the story, Tim. Yeah, so it's, it's this couple that went and camped on Algonquin, Algonquin Park. Algonquin Park. Algonquin Park, yeah, which, which yeah. is, you know, this has this island where a bear happened to winter. And so this couple comes along and, you know, springtime, the bear wakes up and he's like, sweet, I've got, you know, food for the next get me into summer. And that's what happens. I think that's where the line, I, I was first attracted by your scent. Your heart must be a caramelized, caramelized onion. onion. Oh, oh, dude. I loved that. I heard, your, <laughs> I heard your heart must be a caramelized Man. onion. And, and as a guy who really likes food and, my wife says doesn't cook enough, but man, just your I just imagine this bear just like so happy to have these humans to feast on. It was just like there's I don't know, there's this triumph for nature. Yeah. You know, there's this just this feeling with this. It's all over few and, and what's his name? You know, the bear is clearly just stalked and ate this couple. And then like Apparently, the when they tried to come, maybe rescue the couple or something, the bear was just like standoffish and super protective of his his prizes of this poor couple. What a fucking tragic, awesome, beautiful song! I mean, can you imagine hiking no. with your Shit, hiking dude. with your significant other and like, hey, let's swim out to that island and camp there? Oh my god! Wow, let's make a yeah. movie out of this one. That's that's where I went. That's a great, that's a great idea. All right. We wrap up the record with, as I wind down the pines. Kind of a beautiful ender, you know, it's got really nice acoustic guitars, backup vocals, piano. It's like, is it, it's, is it a love song? I'm not so sure. But as far as an ender, this this one just to close the book for me, and um, like like maybe mm, I might have had this feeling with Phantom Power to where I was like, okay, let's let's get to the next album. This this did it for me too. So I, I thought this was a good closure to the track. That's what you look for in a record, like. Like in a sense, you're looking for a closer that'll lead you to the next morsel. Is that oftentimes? Yeah, I mean, if I'm if you know it, it a lot of this experience has harkened me back to like listening to the music in the '80s and the '90s because you know we heard shit on the radio and we bought albums and we listened to albums. I mean, I, I remember like playing in one of the houses I lived in in my twenties, four of us. And I remember buying CDs and making everyone listen to them over and over and over. Cause I yeah. wasn't walking around with headphones on and, you know, so 
that in that essence, it was more like a score of an experience from start to finish. And, and if an album left me hanging either in a bad way, like, oh, or left me hanging in a man, I can't believe this just came out yesterday. And I just, I've listened to it 13 times and I have to wait like <laughs> two years for the next one to happen. Like this, these were the feelings of, of me listening to albums, which I've been able to relive again, going album by album through their, their, their discography. So I am looking for that as a long answer cool. to your question. I am looking for that. I, I, you know, we've talked about how lots of these songs in here have been singles or standalones or place fillers or what have you, but yeah, I'm looking for that. For sure. So this this one was a like I said a beautiful ender. That was that was about what I took. I I knew though that Pete was like there was at least a couple tears coming down his cheeks when he listened to this. This was a this was a tough one, man. I mean I I loved it. It was a great ender, of course. I really liked the way the piano and the guitars come in mm -hmm. together and just that it's super simple. And you know, sort of stripped down. There is a, a siren at, that comes in in the very beginning of the song. Did everybody, anybody catch that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I remember that. It's yeah. really cool. But you know, I really liked the song. I thought it was a great closer. I, I for me, I not. I don't look for this on a record. I don't look for something to wrap it up and mm. put a bow on it. If a record, because there were so many records that I bought when I was younger, where there was just like three or four songs that I really liked on the record, I play the shit out of them, and then I listen to the whole record and get get into the rest of it. But like it was those, you know, three or four songs that I really loved, and that would make me buy the next record. Um. So, but but when I got older and started to appreciate albums, I think it was probably when I got into like the Beatles at a certain age to, to appreciate like what those guys were doing with full, you know, albums and not just listening to the hits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, then I started to get more into the concept of an album and, and mm. listening to it from start to finish. But, you know, I, I, overall I give this, you know, I get this record, you know, you know, and I don't know if J, JD, JD might get this reference. I'm pretty sure Tim would get this reference. I give this this album 4.5 out of 5 cans of ravioli. You know? Um, Janet no, no, Chen Park Boys. You know? No, I should have said I should have said 8.5 out of 9 because because in the episode <laughs> Ricky's like like nine cans of ravioli, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that wraps up music at work. What we do at the end of every episode, though, is we we force you to pick an MVP track, a track that you're going to put on your playlist that we'll distribute at the end of this podcast. And um, I'm curious what this is going to be, guys. I'm <laughs> really fucking curious. Can, you're raising can, we, can, can we do an experiment? Can we do sure. an experiment? Okay. You're going to pick each other's? No, Tim and, Tim and I are going to say it at the exact same time, but it's going to be... Are we doing... One, two, three, or are we doing one, two, three, then go? What are we doing? One, two, three, one, two, three then go. One, two, three, then go. Okay, and we right. say it at the same time, all right, Tim? So after, after three. 
Yeah, it's one, two, three, then go. go. If you're playing Rochambeau, you know? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You count it off, JD. One, two, three. Tiger the Lion. Tiger the Lion. (laughs) Wow, two records in a row that you picked the same song. Well, I, I, can I can I just say like this one? This one definitely is the the standout. I mean, it's it's fucking cool. Just the slow trippy start and then the build yeah. up. You know, it's just it's got it's got. It would be my favorite too. To it, yeah. I really, I will say, it's a hard second with Wild Mountain Honey. I just I, like I said, I like I like. I like it when they step out a little bit and do something a little bit different. I feel like they did with that one, but dude. Cool. Yeah. Tiger, the lion, tiger, the lion. Well, folks, that, yeah, that puts a bow on this episode of getting hip to the hip. I would be remiss to remind you though, that we've got a big party coming up at the end of the summer, September 1st, Friday, September 1st. It's at the rec room in Toronto, and I don't know, if you like long slice beer, you're going to love it there. And we'll be recording our last episode live with a Tragical Hip cover band and a comedian, and we're going to have a fucking whale of a time. Tickets uh, are on sale at this point. Please buy them. That would be cool. And come and see us and hang out with us listen to great music with us and have some fun with us. We're all going to be there. We're, we're, yeah. tra- we're traveling for this. We're raising money for an amazing cause and um, it's, it's going to be good. I'm actually to... bringing my, I'm taking my car over on a boat. So those of you who want to <laughs> sit in my, my, my vehicle and listen to my premium audio, uh... audio sound system. <laughs> Well, we'll put we'll we'll put we'll give you a break, Pete, and put you in the back, and I'll drive if you want. <laughs> That's cool. That's <laughs> cool. Well, guys, we'll talk to you again next week. That's good. Thanks, JD. Thanks, All right. Pete. Thanks, All guys. Right. Pick up your shit. Thanks for listening to Getting Hip to the Hip. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review the show at gettinghiptothehip.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at GettingHipPod. And join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Fully and Completely. Questions or concerns? Email us at JD at GettingHipToTheHip.com. We'd love to hear from you. Podcasts and such. I was like, yeah, that was, great. that was really good. And then you like downplay it, and you're like, well, I mean, I don't play a great air guitar, and I'm like, it's almost like you were worried that we were going to challenge you or something. Yeah, <laughs> like show that's, me. That's the story of my life. Can't you see? Can't you see the whole rack of air guitars behind him? Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.